Good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Larry Lazarus. I'm one of the elders here at Joy. Uh, it just dawned on me when Carmen got up here and did his little, his little brief bio sketch. I don't really do that. I get up here and talk a lot. I don't, I don't do that. So my name is Larry Lazarus. I've been loving the Lord uh, since 2000. I've been loving the Bible that long as well. I've been loving, growing in love for this congregation since 2003. Uh, so it's an honor to be before you and to bring the Word of God to you regularly. And on this day, uh, it, yeah, it's a joy to be able to gather together and worship Jesus. Um, I wonder if you can recall a time in which uh, your will and desires were crossed in a, in a very painful way, a, a, a time, a situation where God said no to something that you wanted and something that you sincerely believed was a good thing, only to look back on that no with the benefit of hindsight and see what a profound blessing it was that God actually said no to you in that circumstance. Can you recall a time like that? I can. I can recall a few. Uh, I can remember as a very young Christian, just a few months into my walk with the Lord, and being quite confident uh, that I had met and that God had provided for me the woman who was going to be my wife. Uh, I let her know that. And she kindly informed me that my discernment of the Lord's will was not what I necessarily thought it was at that point. Uh, a few months later, I just thought she was missing it and she would get the picture and she, she was, you know, crossing the Lord's will. A few months later, she actually began to see another guy and it was a guy who was a friend of mine. I was, I was crushed. I was confident that this young woman had thwarted God's will for our lives. Because I just knew, having walked with the Lord, you know, for a couple of months, I just knew how to discern the Lord's will in every respect. Well, how thankful I am. How thankful I am of how dead wrong I was. The Lord has been very good to me in saying no to what I thought was a really good, obvious thing. Now, that, that little anecdote illustrates an important principle about God's providence, uh, articulated very concisely in the 17th century by a Puritan pastor named John Flavel. He wrote in a little book on God's providence, he wrote, some providences, like Hebrew letters, must be read backwards. Now, what he meant by that, if you've never read the Hebrew language, the Hebrew language is read backwards as we would understand it. You read the words in Hebrew and the letters are from right to left, not left to right. And so the idea he was getting at in that quote is that God's providence can only be understood down the road, looking back. We sing a song occasionally, not often, but it's a dear song to us called Further Along. Right, further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. And that's how God's providence works oftentimes. We can see in hindsight how God was working together the choices that we've made, the circumstances that we've experienced for our good. Providence, Jason mentioned it earlier in the service, but let me just say something because it's not a word that we use every day. It's not a word actually that appears in our English Bibles, but providence is a word that Christians have used for many centuries to explain that our good God and loving Heavenly Father is in all the details. You think, well, what, is, what does it mean, providence? It means God is in all of the details. He is, in the words of one uh, historic confession of faith, he is upholding, di directing, arranging, and governing all creatures and things from the greatest to the least. And he's doing that, the, this confession of faith uh, says, in a special way to take care of his church 
and arrange all things to its good. Providence is the way that God guides and directs all things so as to be able to actually make good on that sweet promise that God's people have loved for centuries in Romans 8.28, that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And oftentimes... It's only as we look back on the working of God's providence that we can see how he was actually working for good. You may still have unanswered questions and perplexing providences that you don't have answers. You say, that's a nice opening illustration. You thought you had the girl of your dreams, but now look at this dear woman sitting here. That's nice. Your story resolved. I'm still waiting for a spouse. I'm still longing for a spouse or, or whatever it may be. We might not get answers on this side of eternity. We may have to wait till our eternal glory to be able to look back and see the fulfillment of Romans 8.28. But sometimes, even in this life, God gifts us by by, by being able to see how he was at work in the details, working for good. And we're going to see an illustration of that, not just some silly illustration from my life, but we're going to see it in God's Word as we continue our study of the book of Acts this morning. So open up in your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 16. Uh, You'll find Acts 16 on page 925 if you're using one of those Bibles uh, provided for you uh, under the seats. If you're here and you don't happen to own a Bible, we'd be delighted for you to take that Bible Uh, home with you, read it. If you'd like some guidance on where to get started or how to even make use of the Bible, it's a big book. I'd be glad to talk with you after the service and help you, but please do take that Bible uh, if you would use it. Uh, Acts chapter 16 is where we're picking up this morning. Remember the context, if you've been with us, uh, the Apostle Paul has set out on what is now known as his second missionary journey. And just last Sunday as we gathered at the, and we looked at the last part of chapter 15, we saw a rather painful experience of providence where there was a sharp disagreement between two brothers in the Lord, two partners in ministry who had served together for many, many years, and we saw them experiencing a disagreement and parting ways with each other. And, and so Barnabas took John Mark and they went on their way And then Paul took Silas and they went out and they were visiting those places where Paul had previously preached the gospel, strengthening the churches on their travels. And that is where we are picking up this morning in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Listen now as I read verses 1 to 15 of Acts chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, 
we went outside the gates to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her, whole, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is God's word, brothers and sisters. Uh, may he be pleased to give us a blessing in the reading of it and in our uh, doing uh, of it. And let me pray to that end now. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we can gather under it, submit ourselves to it. May we receive encouragement from it. Uh, would you ex- help us to experience conviction where that's needed? And may you work through your word by your spirit to conform us all more to the likeness of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, the main idea of this passage Uh, that I want to bring to your attention and think with you about for a few minutes this morning is this. God provides everything needed for the advance of his unstoppable gospel. If you're a note taker, that's the main point today. God provides everything needed for the advance of his unstoppable gospel. Now, Uh, lest you all think that I'm crazy, I do understand that it's Christmas Eve morning. Christmas Eve morning. This maybe does not seem like your classic Christmas Eve morning passage of Scripture. So let me just set these verses in a Christmas context and make sure that we are clear when I mention this unstoppable gospel when it says there in verse 10 that there was a vision and they concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel to them, let's make sure we all understand what we mean when we say the word gospel. And I think we can begin to think about the gospel with that uh, passage of scripture that we began our whole service with, James 1:17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The gospel begins with God. God, the good, righteous, almighty creator of heaven and earth, eternal, unchanging, exceedingly kind and generous. Every breath, every heartbeat, every function of every organ in our bodies is a gift from him. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from God. Every legitimate pleasure that you and I experience is a gift from his loving hand to us. Uh, Kids, everything that will be under that tree that you will be excited about, all of it. You should thank mom and dad for the gift, but every good and perfect gift is coming from God. And we owe everything that we are and everything that we have to his supreme goodness. From him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. And you see, that's just the thing that we as humans, have all failed to do. Instead of honoring God and glorifying him and giving thanks to him and humbly submitting to his wise and loving rule over our lives, we have rebelled against him, wanting to take his stuff all the while ignoring him, rejecting his wise and loving commandments, living for our own glory and praise, and all too often murmuring and grumbling when providence does not smile upon us in the way that we've determined is good and right for ourselves. And the Bible calls that posture towards God sin. And because God is good and righteous, he is committed to justly punishing sinners, not only with physical death, but actually after physical death, eternal conscious punishment in the unending misery and torment of hell 
That is what our rejection of God, that is what our rebellion against him richly and justly deserves. But God, Cole Hughes, but God, even at the very time in which sin first came into the world in the Garden of Eden, God promised to our first parents that one of their offspring in the course of time would come and would crush the serpent who had deceived and tempted Adam and Eve to sin, though he himself, though that offspring would himself be bruised in the process. That offspring was promised to be coming from the line of Abraham, from Abraham's family and from the family of David. He would be uh, that servant whom we heard earlier Isaiah uh, uh, wrote of who would not break a bruised reed or would not quench a faintly burning week. He would be a, a light for the nations and he would bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. And the people of God waited, even as we sang for 400 years, waiting in those silent times, promise and promise and promise, and then nothing. We'll understand it all by and by. And then just at the right time, in his strange and perfect providence, that son came. Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Merry Christmas. Born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, came from heaven to earth, and he lived the perfectly obedient life that all of us have failed to live. He completed that obedience to God by dying the agonizing death of the cross as a substitute for hell-deserving sinners, standing in our place and bearing the righteous judgment of God for all who would believe upon him, so that we all who deserve judgment could by looking to Jesus be adopted into his family and granted the free gift of eternal life. And I say it was a, it was a strange providence because nobody in that moment while he was hanging on the, at the cross, nobody thought, praise God, there's atonement for sin. Nobody thought that. His enemies were celebrating. His disciples either had abandoned him or were weeping. Nobody was thinking, God is in this moment saving sinners. They couldn't see that. But that's what God was doing. And on the third day, the third day was all the hindsight needed to be able to look back and reckon Jesus as the reigning Savior and hope of the nations because on the third day, God raised him from the dead. That's Christmas, and that's Easter, and that's the gospel. And what unfolds in the book of Acts now, we've been studying the book of Acts for many months, what unfolds in the book of Acts is the fruit of the gospel's working in the hearts of Christ's blood-bought, redeemed people, empowered with his Holy Spirit, now living in response to Christ's grace, in humble, joyful adoration of their Savior and King, controlled by his love, and now carrying out, advancing this good news, this gospel to more and more people and more and more peoples, more nations, more ethnic linguistic groups of people. That advance continued. It, it happened. We see it starting in the first century in the book of Acts, and it continued on and on, and it continues on and on, even to our own day. That's how we all got here this morning. Praise Jesus. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it, it really is all his blessing. Not man's ingenuity, not man's charisma or wisdom or skill, but God provides everything needed for the advance of his unstoppable gospel. Now, now with Christmas in view, let's just dig into these verses a little bit from Acts 16 and see how we see that playing out. God providing everything needed for the advance of his unstoppable gospel. I will take a drink first. 
First, in this passage, we see God providing co-laborers in the work. We see that in verses 1 to 5. Specifically, we see God providing Timothy to join the work. Isn't this a kindness of God? Right on the heels of this painful, providential separation between Paul and Barnabas, God brings Timothy into the ministry team as Paul and Silas arrive in the city of Lystra. We see there, if you're just looking at your, at your Bibles open, it's good to have your Bibles open. If you look in those first verses of Acts 16, we see that Timothy was there. He was a disciple of Jesus at that point. He had a good reputation among the brothers. And we see there that he was of, of mixed religious and ethnic background. His mother was a Jew. His father was not a Jew. And, and this leads to a rather... Not a strange providence, but just what may seem to be a strange decision on Paul's part, especially in light of the decree from the Jerusalem council that they were going around spreading. If you remember Acts chapter 15, this wonderful moment when the Jerusalem council came together and they determined circumcision is not needed for salvation. The Gentiles do not need to be circumcised in order to be included in the people of God. No works of the law can be done to earn or obtain entry into God's people. It is received by grace alone, through faith alone. And so circumcision, all those works of the law, they are not needed. It's it's by grace alone. Now, as they go to deliver that news around to the churches, Paul has Timothy circumcised. Because of the Jews, it says in verse 3, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. That's a little bit strange. Why would you have Timothy circumcised when you're going around announcing the good news that nobody needs to be circumcised to be made right with God? Well, the issue here with Timothy was not about him obtaining salvation, but it was about removing obstacles that might impair people from hearing the good news of salvation. So back in the summertime, uh, I went up to Queens on a Wednesday night, and I preached a sermon. As you all have, if you've been here a long time, I've preached a lot of sermons. I don't think there is ever one time in the history of my sermon preaching history that I have stood up here in a jacket and tie and preached a sermon to you. But on this Wednesday night in August, up at North Shore Baptist Church in Queens, I stood up and I preached a sermon wearing a jacket and tie. That's a very peculiar thing. Why would you do that, Larry? Because it is the tradition and custom of that particular church that the man who gets up and preaches the word, he wears a jacket and tie. I was asked to wear a jacket and tie. I did not want to wear a jacket and tie. I don't do that. But I did do it. And I was not thinking in putting on the jacket and tie, I must do this to obtain salvation with God. I was doing it mindful of the fact that because of the culture and the traditions of this church, if I was to get up and preach a sermon like I'm standing before you right now, these, there would be people there who would miss the message. They would be troubled. It, you might think it a bit weird that they would be troubled, but they might be troubled by me not wearing a jacket and tie. They might miss hearing the good news of Jesus because I was not dressed in the way that they were accustomed to. And that's an example of what's Paul, what Paul is doing with Timothy here. Paul always worked. We know this. We've seen this in Acts. We're going to see this. He would regularly work first through the Jewish synagogues. When he would go to a place, he would start in the Jewish synagogues. And if he had a member of his ministry team who was a Jewish of Jewish lineage, but he was uncircumcised, he knew that would just be a red flag right from the start, and it might lose an audience with those Jewish hearers. So not to have Timothy saved, but as a matter of missionary strategy to remove obstacles that might stand in the way of people hearing the gospel, he has Timothy circumcised. And it, it is a reflection on Timothy's character, right? We, we know from other passages, as we meet Timothy, as we read about Timothy, he was a godly servant of Christ. He did not regard his own interests, but those of Christ Jesus. And we see that wonderfully displayed in his willingness to be circumcised. This is an adult man. He's a young adult. We know Timothy was a young man. He's a young man, circumcised, no modern medicine, no anesthesia, want you to be circumcised so we can take the gospel to the Jews. He says, let's do it. I mean, we, that's, that's, you know, that doesn't say that in the, he was willing. What a wonderful 
picture of the self-emptying love of Jesus. You might think, what would compel Timothy to do that? What was he thinking? Maybe he was thinking about Jesus. That eternal word, enjoying from all eternity glory and honor and delight in the fellowship of his father, having no needs, no, no hint or stain of sin or sorrow, and yet he came. He sacrificed his rights and came as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, enduring the shameful humiliation of the cross, bearing the dreadful curse for our sins, though he had been in perfect splendor, he sacrificed his rights. And Timothy says, if I must sacrifice my foreskin so that these people can hear the gospel, I'm in. All because of Jesus. And so Paul picks up Timothy, and he becomes a part of the ministry team. In the midst of a hard no, Paul and Barnabas are not going to continue on together. In the midst of a hard no, God provides a co-laborer who would become very dear to Paul, very faithful in the advance of the gospel. God provides co-laborers for the work. So now we've got Paul and we've got Silas. We've got Timothy added to the fold, and now we really start to see God's strange and surprising providence at work. Look again at verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That is very puzzling. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Wow. That's very intriguing to me. They wanted to speak the word. Is that a good thing? That's a good thing. Jesus had said, go, preach the gospel in all of creation. And they were forbidden. They wanted to go up to Bithynia, I'm trusting they were going up to Bithynia for that same. They wanted to speak the word up there, and the Spirit of Jesus said, no. He did not allow them. We're, we're not told how that no was made known. Perhaps it was a subjective impression as the, the team just weighed and discerned this. Maybe there was a prophetic word. Maybe it was just some other circumstantial hindrance, travel obstacles or illness. Maybe actually this wasn't something that they realized in the moment, but maybe this is Luke now writing this, and he's looking back on it with hindsight, seeing that the Spirit was forbidding it. Maybe they didn't even realize that at the time. We're not sure about all of the details, but what we can be sure about is that this team had plans, and they were good plans, but God had other plans. What we have here is an illustration of that lesson that the writer of Proverbs communicates. Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. These missionaries had good plans, they had good ambitions, lots of hard work and labor just to get doors shut in their faces. And not just some angry person shutting their door not wanting to hear the gospel, but actually God shutting doors. It, it says there in verse 8, they went down to Troas. Now, I don't, I don't have a map to put behind me. Where's, where's Jim? Jim, I was thinking about you. If there's one person in this congregation that would say, you really should get a map up there. It's, it's you, and I thought about you. I don't have a map up there, okay? Okay. Um, there may be in your Bible that you might have a map. There are maps of Paul's missionary's journey. But it, from, the, from, from Lystra, where they picked up Timothy, to get to this place in Troas, it was like four to 500 miles. Mountainous, difficult terrain from what I read of the, of the, of the history and the culture. Long, arduous travel just to have doors closed wherever they seem to turn. And all they want to do is preach the gospel. I think it's easy to miss that when you just happen to read in a few verses, they went here and they went here and they went here and they went here. That it's easy to just lose sight of the potential, at least, that there was for discouragement or frustration that might have befallen this team. Uh, I was thinking about Chuck. I was thinking about Bob. You guys went on a trip over the summer. 
and you know a little bit, I mean, you had a little taste of what this is like. Long, arduous trip, and then door shut. Can't go where you've been planning to go. And I don't know what kind of temptations you brothers experience in that moment, but I imagine it's hard. It's hard when you have good plans and good desires, and you sincerely are endeavoring to do God's will, and God says no. That's what happened here. It's good to make plans. It's good to make plans. We, we, should, we should make plans. It's, I mean, here, here we are on the brink of a new year. It's a good thing to sit down and spend some time thinking, how, how might I endeavor to honor and serve the Lord in 2024? That's a really good thing to do, saints. Uh, if you, if you have, are interested in thinking about how to do that strategically, I'd be glad to talk with you about that after the service. Good thing to, to make plans. But after we've sort of uh, taken the marker onto the whiteboard and marked up with our plans of what we want to do and what we would endeavor to do to honor the Lord, it's good to hand the marker and the eraser to the Lord and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And for Paul and this missionary team sitting there in Troas with just their thwarted plans and good stuff they wanted to do, we see God has something else. He was erasing their plans. He was writing something else on the whiteboard, something that they at that point had not yet thought about. It wasn't on their radar, and that is Macedonia. They, they were, weren't Macedonia. It was, wasn't, they weren't thinking about Macedonia at that point. Maybe they would have at some point, but they weren't thinking about Macedonia there. And so what Macedonia today is what we call modern-day Greece. So in this, in this puzzling and perplexing no, God is taking the gospel for the first time to European soil because he has his saving sights set on a wealthy merchant hanging out at a prayer meeting by the river in a region where they've never heard the name of Jesus before. Look at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night Man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And I, I, I mean, again, there are some things we don't, I don't think we're clear, just as the how God said no, how he shut the door and didn't allow is a little bit unclear. I, it, I mean, it says there's a vision, but how they, like, I, I don't know that that's a, the normal way. There's, there's 25, 30 years of history recorded in the book of Acts, and there's only a, a very small number of these types of instances. I don't know that you should be expecting that God's going to direct you what to do in 2024 through a vision. You ask, Larry, is it possible? I'm not saying it's impossible. I just don't think it's normal. There's stuff in here that I don't think we can just say is prescriptive for our lives. But what I do think is an inspiring example is the fact that they just, they conclude this is the will of God. And it says immediately they went, they sought to go immediately, concluding, they all seem to discuss this and deliberate this together, concluding God had called us to preach the gospel. And so immediately they set out to go do it. No pouting. I mean, I, I know how I'm bent, sadly. No pouting here, no, no grumbling about their thwarted plans, and now they've got to travel for another couple of hundred miles when God, it's just been door shut after door shut. No, it just says, immediately they went. I, I wonder if God might have something for you in 2024 that just hasn't been on your mind at all. But maybe today or in the days to come, he might put something on your mind you've never thought about. Are you, are you open to God leading you in such a way? Maybe to some pe places in the world, like, they were, like God was sending this team to Lydia. God, could God possibly be working in you, stirring up some people in here? Maybe he wants to have me in 2024 get on a trajectory and pick up and get on a trajectory to go and bring the gospel where the name of Jesus hasn't been named. Could he be working in that way? Maybe. Or some other way that you've not just been thinking about, but God says, here's the plan, and you, you drop all, and you're ready. Immediately, it says, they went. And I wonder if when they got there, and this is another couple, about 150, 200 miles by boat now from Troas and on to Philippi, they, they get there, and I wonder if they still were maybe somewhat puzzled when they get there, because 
you know, Paul had this vision of a Macedonian man. And I, I, I think, in, you know, I remember in chapter 10 when Peter had a vision. And then he went and Cornelius, he gathered everybody. They were all there get ready to hang on every word of his to hear him bring the word. And they get there and it just seems like nothing happened at first. There's no big crowd waiting for them. No Macedonian man imploring, we've been waiting for you. It just, they just got there and it just says they were just there for some days. No fanfare, no big household gathered to hear them. They couldn't, they couldn't even find a synagogue in the city, it seems. And so they went outside the city and they find some women who'd come together for prayer. And the Lord, the Lord fixes our attention here now on one particular woman named Lydia. Lydia, you're a, you're a star in the sermon today. Jesus is a star. You're not a star in the sermon, but you're in the sermon. Lydia. Now, Lydia seems to be a woman of some means. She's, we're told she's a seller of purple goods, which was rare and costly in that day. That's why I mentioned earlier a wealthy merchant. And it's, we're told she's a worshiper of God, which in the, in the language of that day means she had a reverence. She knew about and had a reverence for the God of Israel, but she wasn't herself a full convert. And did you notice where we're told she's from? It, she was in Macedonia. She was in Philippi, but she wasn't from there. Where was she from? She's from Thyatira. And again, you don't have the map in front of you, but do you know where Thyatira was? Thyatira, Thyatira, Thyatira was in that region of Asia where they were trying to get to, and they couldn't get there. That's interesting, too. They were trying to get to Asia, and, and God said no in his own way. They couldn't get there. And so they end up taking this big, long, winding, several hundred mile detour around Asia. They get on a boat and they go even farther from Asia. They get there. They don't really see much going on. There's a seemingly a little, maybe fairly insignificant group of uh, uh, prayer that's gathering. And there's a woman who happens to be there and she's going to be the first ever convert to Christ in the continent of Europe. And she happens to be from the region they were trying to get to in the first place and they couldn't. That's really cool. But I, I just got ahead of myself a little bit because I just spoke of her as the first convert on European soil well, I didn't actually read that part Yeah, I mean, we got to get to that. So we, we notice God provides co-laborers. He provides direction for this team. God moves in a mysterious way. We'll understand it all by and by. Now we see God provide fruit. He provided co-workers. He provided direction. Now he's going to provide the fruit. We're told about Lydia, seller of purple goods from Thyatira, worshiper of God. Look at what it says there in the second half of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, I know some of you would like to double-click there next week, dear saints, next week, okay? If you were, oh, that reminds me. If, you, if you've been looking at those sermon planning cards and you're thinking about Romans 12, 10 next week, outdo one another in showing honor, that's uh, the spirit of Jesus hindered me. <laughs> That's not really, that's, I shouldn't make light of that. But I change of plans. We're just going to stay and finish Acts 16 next week. So I, I've talked to many of you over the past few months who do read ahead, and that's super encouraging that you are reading ahead. You can just read through the end of chapter 16 for next Sunday. We'll talk about the household baptisms then. But this woman, she had her heart opened. She was baptized in her household, and she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. Do you see? Do you see? Is this worth worshiping him for? The strange and perplexing movements of providence as God moves heaven and earth, as it were, to bring the message of salvation to this one woman, Lydia, and we're told here in this passage she did not even have the resources in and of herself to receive it. It's like um, I go out for walks in the morning and uh, sometimes, fairly often, you know, there'll be a, a, a dead squirrel in the road. 
or maybe a dead sparrow, sometimes a dead bunny. That's but if I could imagine coming down, getting near the, this little squirrel. Squirrel, get up. Get up and live. That's like what Paul is trying to do with Lydia, if not for the Spirit of God. The natural person, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Not that we can't understand it like intellectually, cognitively, it's not understandable. But it's such, it's such folly to the human heart, to the natural, unaided by the Holy Spirit human heart. There's no reception. Lydia can't open her heart to receive this message. As far as God moved to get the message to her, she can't open her heart and receive it. Paul cannot open her heart so that she receives it. But God opens her heart so that she receives it. She believes, she is baptized, and she actually joins. She's a co-laborer now who's working with the team. She becomes a, a, a host for the team. And thus is birthed with this very small beginnings after this very long, strange trip and this one convert at a prayer meeting that God opened her heart, here begins this little outpost of God's saving continent on the continent, uh, his saving activity on the continent of Europe, the first fruits of a church that would become very dear to Paul, that would be the source of much joy to Paul and much generosity in partnership with Paul as he would continue bringing the gospel to more and more peoples, the church at Philippi is birthed, all because God said no to the good plans of his servants. That's the text. God provides everything needed for the advance of his unstoppable gospel. In closing, three brief considerations by way of application. First, if, if you're here with us today and you've not come to Jesus for life and salvation, oh, we, we urge you to pay attention to this word today. You say, well, but you just told me I can't. I, I did, but do not misunderstand that. If you are here today, and you're, you, you came not tr looking to get saved and get the gift of eternal life. You came because somebody you know or love asked you to come, and you're here. Well, in God's providence, he may have had a plan in your not planning. You plan for, to do one thing, to appease a friend or family member, and he came to bring you the gift of eternal life today. He could do that. You say, well, but you just said I can't. If you're here and you've listened and you've hear God, yeah, I, I, didn't I didn't create myself. I didn't give my st stuff, all the stuff that I have that I do, ta I do take a lot for granted. God I could see how God is the giver of everything. I could see how I've ignored him, and that's evil, and I deserve to be punished for that. I could see that. But you're, you're telling me that there's a way, that God has made a way, that even though I'm a sinner and I've ignored God, there's a way that I can be restored to him. And it's not about what I do, but it's about Jesus. It's about what he did, his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave. And you're saying, by simply receiving him, by resting and receiving and relying upon him, I could have the gift of eternal life. I could have peace. I could have hope. If there's anything in you that's like, I, I think I want that, that's the Lord opening your heart to pay attention. So receive him. The invitation is for all. Receive him today. Oh, what a wonderful Christmas that would be for the gift of salvation to come to a soul today. If you're hearing that and you, your, your heart's maybe inclining in that direction, but you don't understand and you want more information or you have questions, I would be delighted to speak with you. Anyone around here would be delighted to speak with you about that. That's application number one. Secondly, brothers and sister Christians, oh, there's so much activity in our, right? Is this your, me is this your message for, for tonight? There's so much activity in this time of year. Would you just pause? I don't know what all you have planned the rest of this day and the rest of tomorrow. 
pause and ponder and praise God for the providential ways that he moved heaven and earth, as it were, to bring his message of salvation to you and to give you a heart to pay attention to it. Think, think about all he did do and all, he, all the doors he shut down to get this word to this one soul, Lydia, at a prayer meeting outside the city of Philippi and recognize that if you're here sitting today in Christ, that's your story too. If you came to faith largely because you were born into a family that taught you the word of God and brought you to church, you did not put yourself in that family. God did that for you. It was God's providence in your life. And if you're here and you came to faith longer in life, uh, uh, older, not because you were born into a family teaching you, but some later time, think about all the ways. It, would it not blow your mind to think about all the ways, all of the, the, the thwarted plans and desires and the turns and the choices and the decisions and the setbacks and all the shaping influences that appear to just be random, that were not random at all, but were God's providential designs to bring you this message. Oh, I cannot tell you all the details of your story, but I could just tell you one detail. If my friend Joe had been offered a scholarship to the University of Michigan at the last hour, he would have broken that commitment to Penn State. He would have been at Michigan, and I would not be standing here today. That's the tiniest little detail to walk through a cafeteria and, and, and you just wanted a soda. She'll tell you her story afterwards. You can feel free to ask my darling wife, who's so much better than that other girl from 25 years ago. <laughs> Think about it. Think about all the ways, rejoice in all those little things that you could have never seen coming or planned on that would bring you to the knowledge of God's salvation in Christ. What love he has shown to you if he has saved you and providence has worked so as to bring you into the kingdom, out of darkness, into God's marvelous light. And if God so ordered and governed all those circumstances to bring you the best possible gift, salvation in Christ, what good thing would he possibly withhold from you? Oh, beloved brothers and sisters, rest in and rejoice in the kind, gracious working of God's providence for you because we still know our share of perplexing providences in this life, don't we? But when we look back at all the ways his providential designed work for our salvation, we can be assured and encouraged. He will never, ever, ever, ever use providence to do you harm. Never. Third, I don't have these outlined. Okay. On, uh, if you're a visitor with us and you've not come to Jesus, come. Christians, consider and praise God for the wonderful ways that providence brought you into salvation. Third, let's just call it commission, commissioning. We, we sang earlier in the service, angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight o'er all the earth, ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn king. And recognize this Christmas Eve morning that this wonderful, thrilling privilege of summoning people to come and worship, not, not just worship the newborn king, but the perfectly sinless king, the law-keeping king, the crucified king, the risen king, the reigning king, the returning king. This privilege to herald people and peoples to come and worship this king is a thrill that is not given to angels now, but is given to redeemed sinners now made saints in Christ to people like you and me. Let this strange and surprising providential orchestration of the gospel's advance to the continent of Europe and the city of Philippi, let it encourage you that God is working around you and God is working through you, preparing people to hear this message and come to Jesus and find life in him.
as you take this gospel to your, your jobs, to your neighbors, to your family members, and your, in your fitness centers, or your department stores, or your grocery stores, maybe some of you, for, for those who are really, really far away in hard to reach places that have never heard the call to worship Christ the King, Oh, as we go to all those ways, let us go believing that our God is at work behind the scenes in ways that we don't know, that we cannot anticipate, but we can trust that he is working. Let us go believing that he is so ordering circumstances so that you, so that I might have the indescribable privilege of being Christ's emissary of salvation to just even one single soul. Let us go believing that in his no's and his yeses, in his hindering and in his redirecting, that God provides everything needed for the advance of his unstoppable gospel. Love you, dear brothers and sisters. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace and blessing. Oh, we thank you. We thank you for salvation. What a miracle that any of us is in here having been saved, transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into your kingdom, your kingdom of light. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the joy and the freedom and the peace and the life that are found in him. We praise you for having opened our own hearts, doing what we could not have done. We were as lifeless and as pitiful not even as pitiful as a dead squirrel in the road because we're culpably guilty and wretched in our sin. But when we were just wallowing there in our deadness, you made us live. We thank you for it. We pray that we would remember it as we experience painful providences in our lives and that we would remember it as we seek to go and be your ambassadors. May you be pleased to work by your wise and loving providence to bring more and more souls to a saving reliance upon Christ through our witness. We are weak. We can do nothing apart from you. We thank you that you are pleased to use people like us to advance the gospel and to extend the hallowing of your great name to all the nations of the earth. Work in us what's pleasing in your sight through Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.